0: if you don't have that faith, I mean you're trusting in your own works because there's nothing left. It's it's one or the other. You're either trusting in God, the object of your faith, and it's not about our great faith, it's the object of our faith. So either the object of your faith is yourself or it's God. Right. And if it's yourself, well then it's done by the law. You have to achieve, you have to attain, you have to lay on beds of nails, you have to knock on doors, you have to memorize religious writs. But when it's grace alone through faith alone, by Christ alone, which is revealed in Scripture alone to the glory of God alone, we realize that no one can boast in the presence of God.
1: Give Papa a cup of proper coffee in a copper coffee cup. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's like bitty butter, bitty butter, bitty butter, bitty butter, butter,
1: Yeah, a big black bug bit a big black bear. <clears throat> Wow. A, a flea and a fly flew up in a flue.
2: Is this alliteration? Is that what it's called? Uh, tongue twisters.
1: Oh. A happy hippo hopped and hiccuped.
2: <laughs> the the number <laughs> the one, editing. according to the Guinness Book of Records, is the sleek sheep,
3: slick sheep, uh, sick, sleek, sleep sheep. Like it's the hardest one Yeah, say. I can't say Can it. Can you say it
2: right? Um, the six sheep, six, six sleek sheep, sick. I think that was it.
3: I got nothing. You did? <laughs> I don't even know what you just said. that's
2: an Arab sheik. He's got a sheep, um. and it's sleek and it's sick. Why did you say that? I couldn't be bad.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that one. I was trying to find it because you probably said it wrong, Ray. I knew yeah. the
3: wood one. How much wood would a woodchuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? A woodchuck would chuck as much wood as a woodchuck could chuck if it would cut chuck. Ah, <laughs> man, mm, I was so close.
1: <laughs> you know what? I've shared it before, but it's a good reprisal for the Arabic one. <laughs> Why do I feel
3: like my life is in danger when you do that?
0: <laughs> 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 oh
1: boy. I should end it with that. Oh uh, yeah, that one is again I've shared it before. That one is my grandma and your grandma are in the bathroom. My grandma hit your grandma, can your grandma hit my grandma like my grandma hit your grandma in the bathroom?
2: <laughs> Only an Arab would talk about a grandma hitting another <laughs> grandma. I mean, my grandma was very kind of
1: sweet. <laughs> That's so true. Why did Arabs do stuff like that? Huh. Oh man, a wild, syn- wild man. That's what it means in scripture. Yeah, a synonym for cinnamon is a cinnamon synonym. <laughs> That's a good one. All right, friends, enough of that stupidity. Uh, here is a More comment stupidity. from, <laughs> from Chrissy Three, having fun learning the Bible. This is great. They really make learning the Bible so fun and interesting, which is so important. They really draw you in. Once you start listening, you can't stop. Great group of blessed men teaching us and helping us get closer to our Father in Heaven. Thank you guys so much. I truly appreciate it. This hmm. is great. Lazy can't
2: Thank stop you. quite
0: often. <laughs>
1: I can't. Someone help me stop. Mark, how are you?
0: I scream, you scream, we all scream for ice cream. What are you watching on your computer? What are you doing, Mark? <laughs> He's I'm looked up the
2: tongue twisters now. I'm looking up tongue twisters. We've moved I got on, man. We've moved on. Yeah,
0: that's the way I work, Did you though. find the sleep sex sleep? <laughs> No, <laughs> but I saw Betty Botter bought some butter, but she said the butter's bitter. If I put in my batter, it will make my batter bitter. But a bit of better butter will make my batter better. So it better Betty Botter bought a bit of better butter.
1: <laughs> Ray, have, have you not memorized that That
2: was smooth. No, that was great. Yeah, smooth
1: operator. All right, friends, this podcast is brought to you by Faith is for Weak People, Responding to the Top 20 Objectives to the Bible. Who wrote that book? Mm. Good one. Ray, name one thing from that book. Five, four, three, two. Page one. one. That was really good. Make sure to check it out, friends, along with the Living Waters Mug, the Evidence Study Bible, all at livingwaters.com. Oscar, should we pay you for that contribution? I think you do. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's true. That is true. Oh, that's true. I forgot. Well, friends, we are, yes, continuing... I know, maybe you're thinking, I want this to be over. No, I'm sure. sure Like a dentist visit. Oh, the only podcast is like a dentist (laughs) visit. (laughs) Get it over! Uh, I'm sure you're enjoying the What is the Gospel series. This is the fifth episode. You've heard Who is God, the fall of man, Jesus of Nazareth, grace alone. Of course, probably with different titles uh, in the uh, podcast platform. And today, we're going from grace to faith. This is faith alone.
3: Welcome to Faith Alone, our fifth installment of the series, What is the Gospel? My name is Oscar Navarro, and I have with me Easy, Mark Spence, and the infamous Ray Comfort. Welcome, guys.
1: Thank you for having us, Oscar. It was very (laughs) kind of you to give us this gracious invitation.
3: (laughs) Yeah, it's great to be here, Oscar. Infamous. Infamous. That sounds familiar for me. Yeah, that's by. what you
2: said, what my mother said about someone.
3: Well, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> that's right. Likewise. Thank you, guys. I have uh, nine questions laid out for us in regards to uh, the series title, or I'm sorry, the, the title of today's discussion, Faith Alone. Let's get right into it. Question number one, uh, since we just got off of grace alone, I thought it'd be important to explain the difference. What is the difference between grace and grace? and faith?
2: Well, I think faith is the tube that delivers the oxygen that saves. Grace saves us, and it comes to us
0: by faith. Uh, That's what I think. What do you think, Mark? I love your analogies, Ray. There's there's nobody like you when it comes to... I mean, that's great. You're brilliant. I absolutely love it. You know, grace is uh, God's unmerited favor to the infinitely ill-deserving. We start speaking of sola gratia, that it is grace... Alone, that you cannot add anything uh, to it; that it's unmerited, it's undeserved. It is a gift from God, and then we begin to dissect that. If you would like, Ray's talking about uh, sola fide. It is faith, faith alone. Now, faith, faith in whom? Uh, faith is uh, is a beautiful word because when we begin to dissect this word, it is the end of self. The reason why. This is going to become so important in, in our discussion here today is because it is going to strip away any and all false religions using this word alone, because all of man-made religion will try to add to that grace. I mean, in Mormonism, we talked about that, we are saved by grace plus all that you can do. Yes. After all that you can do, then we'll throw in a little mixture of grace. But with faith, it's completely different. Faith is trusting. In someone else entirely, right? So, though we receive uh, uh, grace as an unmerited, undeserved uh, gift, faith, as Ray is talking here, is the vehicle by which God delivers that grace to us.
1: And obviously, it's summarized in Ephesians 2 8 through 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Yeah. And that's where that vehicle comes in. It's been described, I think, best as. Faith being the jump from the high-rise building that's burning into the net that is the grace of God. It's the net that saves you. He's just trying to beat
2: my analogy of course. All well, comments. you know, I
1: mean, when you got it, you got <laughs> it. But, you know, so it's, yeah, it's it's the jump. It's the demonstration of trust uh, in that net that is your salvation. And even that, I believe, as Ephesians 2.8.9 tells us, is a gift of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as something that only God through his spirit can do in us. Yeah, yeah.
0: If you don't have that faith, I mean, you're trusting in your own works because there's nothing left. It's it's one or the other. You're either trusting in God, the object of your faith. And it's not about our great faith. It's the object of our faith. So either the object of your faith is yourself or it's God. Right. And if it's yourself, well, then it's done by the law. You have to achieve, you have to attain, you have to lay on beds of nails, you have to knock on doors, you have to memorize religious writs. But when it's grace alone through faith alone, by Christ alone, which is revealed in Scripture alone to the glory of God alone, we realize that no one can boast in the presence of God. And I, I really like that. I think I love the way it says in book of Romans, uh,
2: chapter 4, verse but it says, Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that what God had promised he was able to just perform. Abraham's faith gave glory to God. A young man came to see me once, and he says... Ray, you're a man of great faith in God. And it sounds like a compliment, it wasn't a compliment. Um, it's like someone coming to me and saying, Ray, you've got great faith in your wife. Who's the compliment to me or my wife? It's to my wife. If I've got great faith in her, I trust in her integrity. She's honest. You know, you can rely on her. And when we have great faith in God... The glory is given to God. Abraham staggered not at promise of God. strong in faith, giving glory to God through his faith in him. So I think there's a huge misunderstanding, especially among the unsaved, as to what faith is. Mm. Do you have faith in God? Yeah, I, I, I think I believe that he exists.
3: Mm. No, we're talking about trusting his integrity. You know what? Let's get into that because that's the next question. What, then let's define faith. What is faith?
2: Faith is the substance of th- assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not
3: seen.
2: <laughs> Hebrews 11,
0: 1, I think, yes. So, yeah, Mark. Well, people have defined it uh, differently. I mean, there's so many uh, colloquialisms out there. You know, faith is just simply taking God at his word. Uh, you know, Tozer said, uh, faith is the gaze of a soul upon a saving uh, God. You know, uh, all of these will begin to work when you begin to deal with... Uh, within the realm of soteriology and the study of salvation, it's merely trusting God, taking him at his word that he initiated and he's going to complete, that everything belongs to him, that it's not of work. So you can't boast. It has to be completely upon the finished work of Christ on the cross. And it was received and it was accepted because we know that he rose from the dead. You know, some people say, I find
2: just so hard to have faith. And They don't realize they're insulting God. If I said the same thing to them, I just find it so hard to have faith in you, they'd probably smack me in the face. And yet they think it's okay to say, I find it hard to have faith in God, probably because he's not seen, but he's got his promises he's given to us. And we exercise faith every day. When the doctor gives you a couple of pills, he says, take these every two hours. You don't say, well, I want them dissected and checked under a microscope so you're not trying to kill me. You have faith. You trust your life to a doctor. You trust your life to a pilot every time you get in a plane. You trust your life to a taxi driver. You don't know that he's not going to go crazy. And so even in here, we're sitting on stools, trusting ourselves to stools. So everything we do is inherently uh, connected to faith. Even having breakfast, you put milk on your cornflakes. You're trusting there's no glass in the milk that's been you know, stringently made. And same with the cornflakes and everything you've got. Everything you do is mingled with faith. And when we talk about faith in God, we're talking about trusting in his promises.
1: And, you know, the word faith has been so diluted by the world. Uh, you hear it mentioned in songs. In fact, earlier today it was just running through my head. You've got to have faith, the faith, the faith. Oh,
0: <laughs> maybe. Hey, yeah, I've never, you've I've never heard, heard that, that one.
3: <laughs> <but laughs> <laughs> never heard of that one.
2: Oh, but, that's the guy that died. What's his name? What's
3: he did. Uh, uh, George Michael. Yes, that's, that's right. right. Yeah. yeah, but, you know, it's thrown around.
1: You've got to have faith you know believe keep the faith yeah. it, th- there are so many kind of go and wash your face cliche yeah, yeah. it's <laughs> obscure right <laughs> you
0: have hope and hope and there's right. no substance right yeah. whatsoever
1: faith without an object is completely and utterly void and bankrupt so faith is a total complete trust and abandonment to the object of your faith. And in our case as Christians, when we're talking about faith in the salvific sense, it's faith in the fact. Salvific. Uh
2: Oh. Is
1: that a new word for that? It's beautiful. Yeah, isn't that beautiful? uh Salvific uh, in the sense of our our redemption. uh, It's total, complete, absolute trust in the finished work of Christ. And you think about what Paul talks about in Romans as it relates to Abraham. You know, he believed God And and that faith was accounted to him as righteousness. And so that's what it comes down to. And and this is important, I think, to point out as well, because there's so much debate and controversy, as Mark said, in the soteriological realm of how did God move, how does God save, and so on and so forth, And, and Christians debate vigorously over this. But we can't forget what Scripture says in regards to how even faith is a gift given to us by God. In Acts, it talks about how those who are appointed to eternal life believed. Mm-hmm. And we can get into the minutiae of how God works, specifically and his sovereign hand and, and will and so forth. But the bottom line is we understand that salvation is a work of God mm-hmm. and that even that faith is preconditioned upon God working
3: in the lives of people in his appointing to salvation. Yeah, I love that scripture doubles down on it. Like it's a grace, It's grace, and it's faith, and both are a gift. It's like a double down. Right. This is by God's work and God's work alone. Uh, I wanted to point out that the discussion over what faith is, uh, you know, you guys pointed out really well that there's confusion and there's different meanings going around our culture today. And unfortunately, nothing has changed. This is a part of the huge argument during the Reformation against the Roman Catholic Church. And the reformers looking through the scriptures found three defining qualities about what specifically a saving faith requires uh, and you guys touched on i think two of them already uh, first is faith and knowledge although faith is not identical to knowledge it is not devoid of knowledge saving faith does not happen in, in, in an intellectual vacuum so faith alone is not ignorance or superstition that's masquerading as faith faith is rooted in knowledge and that's that, that knowledge is the content of our faith. Uh, you'll hear people say today, it doesn't matter what you believe so long as you're sincere. That's, a, that's ridiculous. That's, that's, ridiculous. that's, that's not saving nice. faith. That's not justification by faith alone. That's justification by sincerity and passion. That's not the faith that we're talking about. It's like to
2: Hawaii and having faith, you're going to New York.
3: It's the right. wrong direction. Right. Right. Uh, the second thing is faith and assent. The second essential element of saving faith is intellectual assent assent involves assurance or conviction that a certain proposition is true it's not just putting your hope in something it's like uh if easy were to say i will destroy oscar at basketball a fact Mm -hmm. that's a dead faith obviously (laughs) right he has faith in himself Mm -hmm. and he has a hope that that is true uh, that's what we call a leap of faith. faith. We cannot decide or be convicted simply by the gospel. We have to know that it is true. Um, or another way of saying it is saving faith is believing in what we know to be true. Having a living faith is believing in a living and risen Christ. And then the last thing is faith plus, which refers to the root in the heart that faith takes on. Faith, the faith in scripture changes a man from the inside out it changes what he hopes in what he believes in and most importantly it changes the desires of a man this is a powerful living faith so again the reformers defined it through scripture as faith in knowledge faith in assent, and faith plus or faith in a change of desires
2: so um let me just bring some simplicity to this one small words, Um, there's different levels of faith. An analogy we've used for many years is a little kid looking at a heater and the father says, don't touch the heater, it's hot. The kid at the moment believes the heater's hot. When dad goes out of the room, he's got this intellectual belief. He reaches out and touches the heater. And the second his flesh burns, he stops believing the heater's hot. He now knows it's hot. Moved out of the realm of intellectual ascent to an experiential faith, knowing, and that's what you were talking about before. We have a faith that knows because we trust in God's promises.
1: And we know, as Hebrews tells us, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that's so important to remember. And and this may be a bit of a rabbit trail here in that regard. But that aspect of believing that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him that is so key for the Christian who's been saved by grace through faith, that that element of understanding that there is indescribable reward in passionately seeking after the Lord. And I think Oscar will touch on that a little later when you talk about faith and works and, mm-hmm. and how that all comes together. But I've heard it said once, you know, that Christians make the mistake of thinking that God is as equally passionate about each one of his children. And, and that's just not the case. God equally loves all of his children, and God uh, equally desires to, to see the sanctification of all of his children. But I believe God is drawn toward his children who diligently seek after him. And he works on their behalf in distinct ways. I'm talking about Christians. I'm not talking about, you know, unbeliever versus believer, but those who have been saved and, and walk in that faith that God, diligently reward, God will reward, reward those who diligently seek him and who pursue him passionately. They're going to see God move in wondrous ways and in through them. We love to give things away. We love to give things away. And that's why we will do that every single day here on the Living Waters podcast. That's right, friends. We're giving away goodies. For those of you who go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast and fill out the form, we are giving 10, believe it or not, 10 different people each week goodies from Living Waters, $100 value for each box. You'll get tracts and books and the podcast mug and all kinds of good things. So make sure to participate at livingwaters.com forward slash podcast and make sure to listen to the very end of the podcast where you will hear the announcement of the winners
3: every week our next question is uh is faith learned gained or given
2: it's given obviously it's uh it's a it's a gift of god um You know, years ago, I was driving my family, and uh, I saw a package on the road, and I stopped and backed up because I saw a package on the road and jumped out, and it had gone. And so I crawled under the car looking for it, and as I crawled under the car, I saw a piece of string running from the ditch up into a two-story window and realized some kid was doing what I used to do to drivers. You'd hide in the bushes with a piece of string around a package, and when he stopped, you'd pull it in and watch him make an idiot of himself. But whenever you get...
3: We used to call that car fishing.
2: Car fishing? That <laughs> cars. I love it. Oh, it's wonderful. Anyway, uh, when you get something in your letterbox, mailbox, a little tube of toothpaste or a little cookie, uh, a little sample, it's got strings attached to it. There's always strings. They want to attach strings to your wallet. But with the gift of God, no strings are attached. In fact, the scriptures use um, superfluity or superfluous statement to make that point. It's in the book of Romans, I think three times it says the free gift. Of God as eternal life, free gift. That's superfluous. You don't need if something's free. It's a gift. If it's a gift, it's free. But it combines those two words to substantiate: this is totally free, no strings attached. It's given by God because of God's kindness.
1: Yeah, and then I would say, as you parse it a little bit, obviously it's given. We know that there's no question. But but also the understanding of the gospel that leads us to learn. Its nuances and its truth is a part of it being given. And when something is given, something is also gained. But the root and foundation of it is the fact that it is given by God. And as it's given, we learn it. As it's given, we gain it. And yet again, it traces its
0: roots back to the Lord. And I don't have any trouble with that. Do you have any trouble with that, Mark? (laughs) No, I think what I have trouble with is when I begin to wrap my mind around the idea of why. Why is it given? Now, the foundation. As to God giving it deals with the condition of man. Because man, in his unrepentant self, he is dead in his sins and his trespasses. He's not seeking after God. He is darkness. He has no desire to seek after God, no desire for the word righteousness. And because he's in this state, this this condition of hating God, has to start with God. God has to initiate this relationship because man will never initiate it because he's dead. And a dead man cannot even cry out for help. So God initiates. It's a gift. It is a gift of faith. And that's why, because of the condition. And the scriptures
2: ask the rhetorical question, what have we got that we didn't receive? Yeah. Everything. Eyesight,
0: brain, right. taste
2: buds, skin, blood, bone, even my free will is from God. So
1: I have no trouble resting in the sovereignty of God about anything. You know, when you think about the depth of the gospel, just as Christians pausing long enough to fix our gaze on it, it's overwhelming. You know, this morning a brother and I were texting about the gospel and I said to him, your text has greatly stirred my soul this morning. I praise God that you are experiencing the joy that has been bubbling in my own heart as you fix your gaze on the glorious gospel of light and life. What a grand, robust, and divinely conceived gospel it is. If 10 trillion men put their heads together for 100 quadrillion years, they still couldn't even come close to conceiving and creating such a beautiful, chivalrous, and love-soaked gospel. And, And that's that's the gospel that God quickens us to have faith in. I mean, seriously, get all the men and all the history of the world together and give them an infinite amount of time. They couldn't even come close to conceiving anything as divine and beautiful as the gospel. I mean, seriously, like you, you just, and, and I, and I, I went, went on to tell my friend that, you know, the spirit bears witness with his spirit that the gospel is divinely wrought. And as Scripture talks about, you know, we, we know His Spirit bears witness with our own. And so it's like as Christians, we can. there's no way this could have been conceived by man. It's so contrary to anything man would have ever conceived or by his own self-interest would even think of,
3: you know? so Love it. I love uh, in last session you used the word monergistic, and I think it's a great word describing exactly how this works. It's God who is at work. Uh, and this is why I... Uh, am challenged a little bit or it just, I pay attention when someone says, I brought him to the Lord or that guy brought him to the Lord, or I've brought in hundreds to the Lord by doing this. I know that they, I hope they don't actually mean what they're saying, but it stands out to me uh, because to God be all of the glory. You know, it's like when we go out and evangelize, it's as if uh, I'm a construction worker and I take my five-year-old son with me to work to build a high-rise tower. In my son's mind, he's doing a work. He's building a tower. But the reality is, I gave him a plastic hammer and he went out there and just kind of hung out while I did the work, right? Uh, and to God be the glory, man. We get to go to work with our Heavenly Father, but it's him who's doing the work. And so, how many people have I brought to salvation? Zero. Not one. And not all of the time. I've I've seen people come to the Lord. And I've seen God use me as an instrument his redeeming hands, but I've never once brought anybody to a saving faith.
1: Right. Amen. Yeah, it's important to remember. I mean, there's so many cliches we throw around, and, you know, we have to be gracious. We threw them around ourselves at one point. Of but, course. you know, phrases like, you know, I found God, or, you know, right? He wasn't the one who was lost. Oh, yeah.
2: God told me. That's a very popular one. God told me never to say that. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah. So uh, good stuff. Uh, Next question. Can faith and belief and unbelief or doubt, can those coexist?
2: I don't think so. I don't know if you guys remember, might be too young, but when Ronald Reagan was in power, he had a saying that was very popular for about three years given to him by a Russian, uh, English speaking woman. Uh, It was trust, but verify. And that was the relationship between America and Russia. We trust you. But we want to verify. And that's it's ridiculous. If you trust someone, you don't want to verify. If you verify, it means you don't want to trust. And uh, uh, the trust that we have doesn't want to verify. We don't doubt God's integrity for a second. We wouldn't call him a liar. He that believes not has made him a liar. And so, uh, no, I don't think they can go together, uh, doubt and, uh, and faith. And you see Jesus rebuking his disciples again and again for their doubt. He says, have faith in God. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I would say as it relates to faith at the point of conversion, I think that it's impossible for that faith to be commingled with doubt because it's, again, such a divine work when you think about conversion and, and transformation in the new birth. And again, being that it's given by the Lord, I believe that that's a complete faith untainted by doubt. But if the question arises, could a Christian who has come to saving faith in Christ ever battle with doubt yes. or struggle with uh, certain things? Yeah, as as Ray just echoed there, yeah, definitely. I think that's a possibility. But as it relates to salvation, I think, no. That, that, that And James, you know, James talks about as well, the importance of Faith being free from doubt, even when it comes to us trusting the Lord. When He says, "You know, if you lack wisdom, ask of God, who gives all men generously without reproach." But I'm asking faith without any doubting, for he who doubts is like, you know, the waves of the sea tossed to and fro. And so, uh, it is important that we seek to fully trust in a God who's fully trustworthy.
2: We see that Abraham um, was the father of our faith in that sense, and he was so commended by God because he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was fully persuaded that what God had promised he was able to perform. And the wonderful thing about God's promises is he's able to perform them. He's not a man that he should lie. I can say to one of my sons, I'll buy you a car for Christmas, and I can at that point in October. I'm planning to, but suddenly terrible financial difficulties come my way and I can't fulfill my word. I just can't. I've got huge debts. I can't perform what I said, but God is always able to
0: perform that which he says. Yeah, you know, uh, Spurgeon, in dealing with doubt in the believer. He said, I believe that the happiest of all Christians and the truest of Christians are those who never dare to doubt God, but take his word simply as it stands and believe it. Ask no questions, just feeling assured that if God said it, it will be so. You know, the, you think if you want to grow, If you want your muscles to grow, your your muscles have to be ripped. They have to tear. Uh, If you want your faith to grow, your roots need to go down deep. You know, same thing with a tree. A tree's roots need to go down deep looking for water. And what kind of a Christian are you if you don't experience trials, if you don't experience tribulation and persecution? But how about rejoicing in advance, knowing whom these trials come from, knowing that God will allow different things and circumstances to happen in your life so that you become pliable and usable in the master's hand. Woe is the person, right, who says, God, I want the white picket fence and the white picket fence only, and I don't want you to do certain things in my life to make me uncomfortable. I learned early in my Christian walk to simply trust God. And I like Corey Ten Boom. She would underline the promises of God And then she'd put a P next to that promise when she would see it fulfilled in her own life. And slowly, one after another, she was seeing God keeps his word in everything. So you have person after person, believer after believer who says, all right, God, please provide for me. Please provide for me. Yet in his promise, he says, I will supply all your needs according to my riches in Christ Jesus. And people begin to still want to go back to that really elementary verse. And we should. We should go to God's word. I'm just saying, how many times does God have to say it? Which ways does he have to say it in order for us to believe it? I I personally have not doubted my salvation since the day I was born. I just, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. That was it. And I thank God for that. It was a a faith given uh, to me. And I know a lot of other people that don't, waver as well at uh, at the promises of God. They just, they believe it. They accept it. That's it. Let's move. Let's go forward. Let's march. This isn't a playground. It's a battleground. It's not a playing field. It's a battlefield. Let's move forward. Let's get over the elementary things. And this really is. And Ray wanted to say something. Yeah, boring. I want to ask yeah. you a question. She wrote a P, Curry Tin Boom. What was the P for? It was a, Oh, uh, well, it was actually a P and a T. So a P was a promise, okay and a T was a try. So oh. she would find the promise, and she would highlight it, and she would put a P that this was a promise of God, and then yes. she would put a line and put a T when it was tried and proven to be true. Oh, that makes sense.
2: Yeah. Uh, I love what uh, the, the hymn writer or the songster wrote. If Jesus said it, I believe it as word. It cannot lie. If it's written in the Bible, I'll believe it till I die. Though the mountains be removed and cast into the sea, God's word will stand forever throughout eternity. That's
3: great. I Uh, I like I like what um, Easy pointed out in the sense that uh, a Christian who stumbles at times it's not a sign that they're not saved, um, but is a sign as as though it's time for repentance. And I think back to Mark nine. You have a father bringing a paraplegic son before Jesus to be healed. Jesus asks tells asks him if he believes, and the father's. response is sincere. And he says, Lord, I believe, help with my unbelief. So there in that guy's life, there's belief and there's an element, a type of unbelief. Uh, And yet God, Jesus granted it to him and his son was healed. Or another thing that I think of is faith, uh, the size of a mustard seed, we'd be able to move mountains, right? Raise your hand if you've ever moved a mountain. Yeah, all of us in this room and anybody we've ever known has faith smaller than a mustard seed. So in there, there's faith, but that's not the fullness of faith on the other side of eternity. It's a faith that's growing. It's a faith that Romans 1 tells us that God gives it to us day by day, and we act out that faith in obedience. So I would just say to the believer who at times doubts, Uh, or is uncertain about certain things, that's where that living faith in the promises of God can still hold you up.
2: I think um, this is probably anthropomorphic, but um, stop sniggering, Spence, because I used a big word. Um, But we can impress. It seems that we can impress God with our faith. Remember the centurion uh, had faith in Jesus, and Jesus turned into the crowd and says, I have not seen such great faith in all of Israel. And Jesus was impressed with his faith. And I know that if someone says, Ray, I've got faith in you, it just makes me feel good. It, that someone trusts me makes me feel good. And so uh, um, if we have no faith, we cannot please
0: God. But when we have faith, we can please him. We yeah. can make God smile. You know, I, I love, in the context there, I love, I love, love that text there with the centurion. There's two places in scripture where it talks about where Jesus marveled. One was he marveled at the centurion's faith. Now, he wasn't even a He wasn't even a Jew. Mm. Marveled at his faith, and then later on, when he came home to his hometown, it says that he marveled at their unbelief. Yes. So, the two times where God marvels, right? It's either at your faith or at your unbelief. And I, I love the fact that God can marvel at one's faith. That is given by him. <laughs> and you know, the importance, too, of recognizing
1: that our faith is not groundless, right? I mean, you think of Jesus and the disciples, He gets in the boat with them. They're crossing the Sea of Galilee. And he begins to talk about the leaven of Herod and the Pharisees. And they're like, oh, no, we forgot to bring bread. They only had one loaf, right? And they start freaking out. And Jesus says, hey, wait a minute. When I fed this multitude, how many baskets full of leftovers did you take up? And they answered, and when I fed this multitude, how many baskets full of leftover did you get? And they left out. And he said, having eyes do you not see, having ears do you not hear, and do you not remember? And it says at one point in, in one of the Gospels that, that their hearts had become hardened. And, and, and so God has given us a perfect track record of faithfulness. He's a God in whom we can have full faith. And we need to, because our problem is forgetfulness. When has God not met our needs? When has God not brought us through every trial and tribulation? When has God not been fully present in His love and grace and mercy? So, in terms of our faith as it relates to daily trust in the Lord in our lives and so forth, we need to remember He is a faithful God. We can put our faith in Him fully and trust Him.
2: The other wonderful thing is that it's so simple. Unless you become as little children and among I, virtue of children is total trust. You can tell a child, moon's made of cheese, and he'll believe it with all his heart. And God gives us promises, and we just become as little children and say, Lord, I, I believe I trust you. Yeah.
3: And I want to speak for a minute to um, you know, that family member or friend who maybe uh, spent a significant amount of time as an atheist, and now they're coming to uh, a saving faith for the first time. Because that was me. I was there at one point, as you guys know. Uh, and there there was a season where I'm assured of my salvation, um, yet I had a lot of questions that were unanswered and uncertainties. Uh, and any time that I spent nights just wrestling with all of the junk that I spent the last seven years or so filling my mind with, uh, those nights I came down to just... Having obedience in the in the little amount of faith that I had, which was God, I don't know the answers to these questions, but I know you do. I know you have an answer to them, uh, and in your time they'll be revealed to me. Uh, and so that you know, I don't know if we want to call that doubt or uncertainty, but the bottom line is, is with that amount of faith is what kept me going. And by the grace of God, um, my mind was put at ease. Uh, you know, through meeting godly men and through reading godly books and et cetera, et cetera.
2: Virgin said, faith may swim where reason may only paddle. Hmm. And often you can get into places where I can't reason this, but I'm going to trust God, so I swim through it.
3: Mm -hmm. Well said. Yeah. How is faith alone, how is the faith alone gospel different than the Roman Catholic gospel or the pop culture Christianity of our day? You know, the scripture
0: alone has to be the litmus test that we will use to decipher something to be uh, true or false? It always has. to. Well, that's why it's scripture alone, right? Sol scriptural. We have to fall back on whatever scripture says. And the RCC will not do that. The RCC, the, the Roman Catholic Church, will have a, a whole slew of traditions. Uh, they will have uh, sacraments from uh, the Eucharist to baptism uh, to uh, uh, their confession and everything else. And what happens is they begin to add to the finished work of Christ, even with uh, the Eucharist, even with that. They're crucifying Christ all over again, and there's this anticipation, there's this hope that they're gaining and earning the merit of God through what they do. And that is the antithesis to what Scripture has to say. That, that, that is so far beyond anything that uh, God ever intended uh, for man you are dead, let me do the work. Say, by grace, through faith, not of works, not of yourself. Mm-hmm. There's nothing you can do to make me smile. We don't serve God to gain his acceptance. We are accepted, therefore we serve
3: God. Interestingly, the Roman Catholic Church affirms justification by faith. They do. They do not, not affirm justification by faith alone. Right. That's right. And the distinction comes down to the instrumental cause. So they believe that it's faith, baptism and penance, penance meaning an outward expression of repentance, is the thing that saves a man. Uh, and this is a quote from Roman Canon 24. This is the response to the, of the Roman Catholic Church writing to the Protestant reformers. If anyone says that the justice received is not persevered and also increased before God through good works, but that those works are merely a fruit and sign of justification, but not the cause, let him be an anathema. Yeah. Wow, you know, I get the chills in a
1: bad way when, when I hear that, and I've read that several times. I've shared it with Catholics. I personally grew up Catholic. So did not. Yeah. That's right. And, you know, it, it's, such a, it's such a terrifying place to be where you find yourself in opposition to the very word of God. And someone asked me the other day, what would you say to the Pope if he came into your house and sat down with you? And I said, you know what? I would ask him to just read through the book of Romans with me and just explain to me these indisputable passages of Scripture where it makes it clear. Paul says, look, if it's a faith, it's no longer of works. Otherwise, faith is no longer faith. If it's works, it's no longer faith. Otherwise, works is no longer works. You know, to him who doesn't work but believes in him who justifies. I mean, it's like all throughout. And it's such a terrifying place to be. Within Catholicism, oftentimes, it's viewed as humility to say, Well, I don't know if I'm saved. It's up to God. I'll find out on that day. But that's not really humility. What's implicit in that is, let me see if I can do enough good works for God to therefore grant me everlasting life. And that is completely in opposition to all that scripture says, that we are saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should Boast.
2: If I could speak to the Pope, i would ask him if I could preach off his balcony. <laughs> Please, Mister Pope, just for a few minutes. You throw gospel tracks. Of course, oh, a million dollar bills. Hosea four six. My people are destroyed through lack of knowledge. And you read the whole verse. It's a lack of knowledge of the law, and that's what makes the difference when it becomes when it comes to the self righteousness that people have. And I, I've seen so many people's eyes light up when they say well, I I know I'm a sinner, but I'm trying to balance it out. And then when you take it to civil court or criminal court and say, try that in a court of law, it makes sense to them. I mean, if they're guilty... What are they going to offer the judge? The only thing I can do is fling themselves on his mercy. So it's essential to give people knowledge from the Lord to show them that they're heinous criminals that have sinned against the judge of the universe. And anything we offer him is an attempt to bribe the judge of the universe. And God will not be bribed. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord.
0: All we can do is call upon his mercy and grace. And that's what we're talking about. In Romans three twenty-eight, Ray It says, we hold that one is justified. Here's that word justification. You are declared righteous, right? So, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And this flies in the face of Roman Catholic Church official teaching. And in Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. And the whole of
2: Romans, I mean, the first eight chapters just keep saying that again and again. It's not by the works of the law. It's through faith alone. And the
3: the Roman Catholic (laughs) formula goes like this. Faith plus works equals justification. The Protestant... Orthodox, historic, evangelical gospel that's been around since Acts and before says faith equals justification and works. And interestingly, uh, it's not just the Roman Catholic Church that preaches this, but pop culture Christianity preaches the same exact thing. The prosperity gospel is works-based. Even though it's this high promise of a good life, it's works-based. They say, do this and get that. Stop sinning and you'll be forgiven. Tithe and you'll get rich. In other words, you do this and here's the result. Uh, But as we've been discussing, faith is merely a gift that's given by God and everything else follows.
0: You know, this. what you just said flies in the face of Our culture, unless you're in a socialistic community, you know, where everything's just given, but we have been taught as hardworking individuals that we do something, we're going to earn something, and because I work hard, I get a paycheck. You know, the wages of sin is death, and we leave it there, and we forget that, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So we have to kind of go against the American pop culture idea, really, which is, I work hard, I get this, unless you're in that socialistic community where I want everything handed to me for free. So when you're referring to what you're referring to, it is what religion has done, right? Religion is really man's attempt to get to God, and Christianity is the Father's attempt to get to his creation.
2: I think the prerequisite for faith is an unworthiness. You think the centurion said to Jesus, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Same with the prodigal son. I'll go to my father and say, Father, I'm not worthy. The self-righteous person says,
1: I am worthy. I deserve this. That's so true. But again, it's all shrouded in this almost false humility, you know, because uh, it's not it's not viewed that way in an objective sense by the person who's stating that. It's more like, you know, oh, let me see what God, if God is going to be merciful to me. And, but it all comes back
0: to, am I good enough yeah. on the basis of my own marriage? you know what it is. I mean, we try to be good enough. And what happens is we come across these people on the streets. Well, I'm going to have to give up these things. I'm going to have to start being good. I'm going to have to start doing a certain amount of things to earn the merit of God. And God is not asking us to clean our lives up. He's commanding us to lay our lives down. There's a difference. So the transformation comes from within. It comes from within and not on the outside. God cleans up the out, but he starts off by doing that on the inside.
2: And he gives you a new heart with desires that want to please him. I delight to do your will, oh my God. That's what I couldn't believe when I became a Christian. I was all consumed with wanting to please the God that gave me life and proved his love for me in Christ.
3: You guys are sort of answering the next question, which is what is the relationship between justification and faith? Um, Do any of you want to kind of provide a...
0: You know, the Westminster Confession... Uh, In chapter 11, uh, paragraph 2, it says, Faith, thus receiving and resting on Christ and his righteousness, is the alone instrument of justification. Someone once said justification is the main hinge on which salvation turns.
3: Yeah, faith is the means and the tool and the cause of justification and salvation. I think the big mistake that's made by people that
1: hear Christians like us talk about the fact that we're saved by grace through faith that not of ourselves, is that they get this sort of antinomian perspective that what we're implying is that a salvation that has been birthed through faith doesn't demonstrate works. And it's so important to remember what scripture talks about. I think I may have cited it in one of the other sessions that we discussed, but you have to remember what it says. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we've quoted that already. For by grace you've been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And then verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then when you look at Titus 3, Mm -hmm. for we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And then he says this, this is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. And I love the balance of that. I mean, he, he emphasizes not of works of righteousness, which we have done, but remind those who have believed in God, those who have been justified, those who have been saved by his grace to maintain good works. He says, man, reiterate this constantly. Tell them to maintain good works, why these things are good and profitable to men. So, a true saving faith that is wrought in God's grace is going to produce good works. And, and it goes on in Titus to say that, you know, that he wants to sanctify for himself his own special people who are zealous for good works. Those, if true saving faith exists, that'll be the barometer. That'll be the evidence that you have in your life because you're, you're manifesting good works.
2: Absolutely. You know, there's batteries in your flashlight because the light shines. That's evidence there are batteries. there. we know we're regenerated by God because your light shines, good works. Jesus said, so let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven or who is in heaven. One thing I hate, I just, I hate it, is when I help somebody and I can't give the glory to God. You know, you do good works, but you can't say, I'm doing it because I'm a Christian. I'm not trying to earn my way to heaven, you know. And so uh, we want to give glory to God by good works.
0: Those those, out, those works are an overflow of the outflow of being grateful, Yes, of being thankful. You know, William Barclay said, there are two great days in a person's life, the day we are born and the day we discover why. We were created in the image of God to know the one who is willing to know all about us and forgive us and give us this relationship with him and the hope of heaven. Right. That's remarkable.
3: I'm thinking of James uh, 2.18, in which James says, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And he does not say, I will show you my faith and my works. He says, I will show you my faith by my works. It's like someone saying, I'm a good chef. And James is going, okay, let me taste your food. Yeah
1: and and i think to, and 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 to touch on this because i think any roman catholic listening right now will say aha look at you you're avoiding what james says right that that without faith works are or, or, de- or without you know faith works faith is dead faith without works is dead and you know what he goes on is that can that faith save him right and where he goes on to say it's not just by faith but by works but but he's clarifying there what he means that it's it's a faith that is manifested in genuine works and this is the one thing that I love about that passage in James. Show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. To me, it's such a, a confidence in that faith is not some ambiguous sort of amorphous and, and, and hard to grasp thing. It's like, do I have faith? I? He's saying, listen, show it by your works. Right. I mean, how do I prove I have faith? Well, I may feel like I don't believe God's word is, is, is important and that it's valuable, but, man, I'm in it every day consistently and faithfully. I'm showing my faith by my works. Uh, prayer, does God even hear my prayers? Is it really valuable? But I'm on my knees every day, and I'm crying out to God, and I'm praying. I'm showing my faith by my works, and that can bring rest to a Christian's heart. It's like, am I demonstrating faith? Well, no. Or, or am I? Yeah, I'm, I'm carrying it out by proving
3: it. And what I do. Right. Paul in Romans, sorry, Paul in Romans is going through a definition of justification when he's talking about faith alone. James is not trying to define justification. He is speaking directly towards an antinomian dead faith. It goes back to what we said earlier. Uh, he is describing the difference between a living faith and a dead faith. A living faith produces good works. It's like what we said, faith equals justification plus works. It's not faith equals justification, period. It's faith equals justification and works.
2: You know, we often forget that good works are a legitimate form of evangelism.
3: I remember years ago, I
2: I shared a door with a barber. Uh, He had a door here, I had a door here the radio. And uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I had scripture all over my window of my shop. I had John chapter three, verse one to 16 and three inch high lettering on the front window of my shop. I had scripture posters on the doorway. And my uh, the barber next door told me when people came in for a uh, haircut or a shave, they'd say to him, what a nut next door. And they wouldn't say anymore. They were just <laughs> disgusting. But when I got into drug prevention work, he told me, he called me and he says, it's 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 amazing. People are sit in the chair and say, doing a fine job, that young guy next door," because they saw my works. And I remember years ago, I suggested doing vegetable evangelism to our church. We gave away bags of uh, vegetables to a hundred houses around our uh, church, local church. We had a letter that didn't say "God bless you." We you know we just said. We care about you and uh, best wishes. And people called up and they were crying over the phone. One guy said, I've been here 30 years. This is the first time the local church has ever done anything for me. Mm-hmm. This is amazing. It was a $2 bag of vegetables. A long time ago, it was quite substantial. But Scripture says, "By so is the will of God that by your well-doing you put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So it's legitimate to be an evangelistic Christian and be
1: rich in faith. Yeah, and let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. That's what it can lead to. But I just want to say one more thing on what I cited earlier. In regards to what uh, Ephesians says, he's prepared our works beforehand that we should walk in them. And 2 Timothy 2 talks about how in a great house, there's vessels of honor, dishonor. If anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he'll be a vessel of honor, useful for the master, sanctified, useful for the master, prepared for every good work. I may have touched on this last time when we talked about grace, but, but if so, there's an update. You know, I love that whole concept. We're prepared for every good work. And every good work is prepared for us. And as we walk along the path of life, there's these nicely, neatly prepackaged good works of evangelism and and of faith and of love that we can enter into. And we're like ready. A divine convergence. That's right. We're ready for them. They're ready for us. And boom, divine convergence. But right, Mark, we experienced this when we went to the Philippines. We're sitting on the plane and everyone's boarding. We're in Manila. The guy's walking down and suddenly his eyes go as wide as saucers. And he goes, I can't, I can't believe it, you guys are from Living Waters, you know? We're like, yeah, and he's like, oh, I love the ministry, and it was just really, really cool. So anyway, he goes, well, I better go back to my seat. So he goes back to his seat, and then he comes back, and he looks at his ticket, and he goes, I'm sitting right between you guys. <laughs> so he sits down, and the whole way to the U.S., not the whole way, but for a good portion of the flight, we were able to counsel him because he had this very, very tough situation where he went to the Philippines to, to, to see his fiancee, who had cheated on him, she got gotten pregnant, and he's like, what do I do? And I don't know. So we were able to counsel him. And the other day, I was with a brother out to breakfast, and we were reading a book together, and it talked about divine encounters and God orchestrating things. And I said, man, there's this amazing story of me and Mark in the Philippines and this and that. And so anyway, that evening, I go on my email the same day, he sent me an email. He goes, I know it's been eight months. Never heard from him until that day. He goes, I know it's been eight months. I was rummaging through a drawer for some keys and I found your card. And I just want to thank you so much for that counsel gave me. And he sent a picture of him and his new wife that he married a woman who loves the Lord. So he was engaged, had to break it off with that lady. And then the Lord and it was just like, wow, divine convergence. God preparing our works
3: beforehand.
1: It's a wonderful thing.
3: Well, thank you guys. Let's go ahead and wrap that up. Uh, and thank you for listening. We hope this session has been a blessing to you. Living Waters exists to inspire and equip Christians in fulfilling the Great Commission. And everything we do is to that end. Everything we do is made possible through our partners and their gifts. So thank you uh, for supporting us, both financially and through your prayers. Amen. God bless you. Ray, uh,
1: what was the first thing you did? Uh, after we finished introducing that episode. Oh,
2: I brought something up that was important (laughs) to me. I I had to get it off my chest. I'm sorry. (laughs) Can
1: you do it again? No. Uh, Yeah, that was nice, Ray. You're excused. Um, Excuse me. (laughs) There you go. Thank you. Yeah. Wow, guys. Uh, That was a blast to the past for sure. Um, How come that didn't rhyme? I try to endure. That's probably eight. (laughs) We probably recorded these eight years ago. Has it been that long? No. 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 Maybe
3: seven years ago? No, maybe five. Maybe a fool. No, because five would have been right before COVID and it was long before COVID.
1: Yeah. Mark, sing your favorite faith song. You gotta have faith, faith the faith, the faith. 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 Why was that that same song in my mind before I asked it?
0: Because we've done it for 20 years.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Yeah, you know, faith is one of those things uh, that uh, people do not understand. We hope you now understand it after everything we shared. Giving you a faith lift. <laughs> Wait, was that a book? No, yes, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> you
0: now Packer said faith is the outstretched open hand. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, mm. you like that. Ray, you got it. That would be a good book title. Well, faith faith left,
2: it's probably taken. Yeah. yeah.
1: Anyway, mm. try it. All right, friends, there you have it. What about go wash your faith? <laughs> <laughs> go wash your faith. Uh, yeah. All right, friends, there you have it. Uh, faith is for weak people. Responding to the top 20 objectives to the Bible, the Living Waters Mug, and the Ever Study Bible, all livingwaters.com. Don't forget to please give us your comments. Podcast at what You should really think about what you're going to say before you start saying it. I've never said Put the brain into gear before you put the mouth into action. At Podcast at livingwaters.com with your thoughts and comments. Don't forget to please subscribe on whatever platform you listen. Share it with others. Leave us your comments. Thank you for joining us, friends. We'll see you here next time on the Living Waters Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> i wonder if people think we put you in double speed <laughs> probably I mean, no, no, no. <laughs> the living waters mm-hmm. podcast the ultimate cure for insomnia <laughs> where we still have no idea <laughs> what we're doing why are you laughing right <laughs> that's all normal speed yeah. that's <laughs> crazy I've never won anything in my life. Well, some of you can no longer say that, friends. Here are the winners for the Living Waters Podcast Giveaway. Carrie from Hobart, Oklahoma. Bryce from Huntington, Indiana. Kenneth from Redding, California. Jamie from Kalamazoo, Michigan. Heather from Ashland, Ohio. Will from Norfolk, Nebraska. Gabrielle from Bristol, Connecticut. Marcy from Liverpool, New York. Dylan from Kadena, Australia and Jobalin from Newmarket, Canada. How boot that, A, We love you guys. Keep listening to the Living Waters <laughs> Podcast.